0: Hello, everyone. Welcome Hi, to
1: everyone.
0: So we wanted to welcome everyone to the second edition of Talk and Tech Paranormal with myself, Keith Bailey and my host Kelly Miller. Miller.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in with us.
0: We are so <laughs> excited tonight to have someone that in the paranormal field. Actually, you could just say really needs no introduction. And I say that if you were to say the words tech and the paranormal, people would pretty much know exactly who you're talking about. This person has been in the paranormal going on now, if I'm not mistaken, right at 18 years. He's brought some of the most cutting edge type tech equipment in the field and actually documented some of the most chilling paranormal Evidence I ever viewed on TV in my many years of watching shows. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring to you the one, the only Mr. Brandon Albus.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for coming, Brandon. It's nice to hear you.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to say, uh, you know, of all the people that, that I've got to meet in, in the paranormal and, I, and I'm pretty, very much been blessed to get to meet so many people. I will tell you that Brandon Alves is someone who is, is, is about as humble as you can get with all the accomplishments that he has in his time and his, you know, absolute just, I mean, watching on TV and watching some of the things that creatively he's done and the things in documenting the paranormal. It's just at his young age, uh should even be years in advance, but he's done it. And I tell you, getting to have him on the show is going to be exciting tonight because I, I talked to even Kelly about this. This is literally we're just going to make this his show. And going all the way back from his humble beginnings and some of his research he's done where he is currently now and even into the future. So with that, I will just, Mr. Alvis, the show is yours, my friend.
2: Well, Again, guys, thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure. Uh Keith, you've been a friend of mine for, wow, over a year now. It's actually, going on two years now, which is great. Um, yes. We've had a lot of great conversations. We've talked a lot about tech. We've talked a lot about theory and the paranormal. You know, my journey began um, in 1995. I lost my oldest brother to cancer. 2004, I lost another brother to suicide. So that kind of sent me on my journey into this genre, into this field. And I never really had an experience per se it was really more about you know having this tremendous loss in my life and trying to have to have to cope with death at a very young age and thinking about the possibility of an ultimate transition and uh before i actually ever stepped foot in the field i read as much literature as i possibly could from psychic phenomena to scientific investigation uh everything from Hans Holzer to the the warrens i mean anything you can imagine and uh I wanted to get as much knowledge as I could before I actually set foot out in the field. And now I've been doing it about 17 years now. And, uh, it's been quite the ride. That's for sure.
0: I know. And that's something I've even talked to Kelly about is, is your young age and your accomplishments. It just, I, I, you know, and I know there's some things that Kelly has been like, wow, yes, he, he's young and look at his ac- accomplishments. And so
1: I think it's really the passion that you put into it too, Brandon. Yes, like your story yes. that you shared, but that's evident in any of our communication. It's evident in all of your uh, multimedia and social media platforms is the true intent and passion that you put into it. And that's something that I know that Keith and I are drawn to,
0: oh. you know,
1: because it's something that, you know, we look at, you know, uh we try to be as, as professional in our demeanor toward it as possible. And we notice that in you too. And that's something that really, Lends legitimacy then to what you're doing, so I think that's really admirable. Well,
2: I appreciate that. You know, it's uh, it's a very personal journey for me. You know, it's not just about finding my own answers. It's more about the one thing that really ties us all together as human beings, and that's death and the possibility of an ultimate transition or the transference of energy in some way. You no, know, I've always been a big believer in the theory that energy is neither created nor destroyed. The big question is. Is the energy inside of us. We have neurons firing off in our brain all the time. Once we pass, does that energy retain consciousness? And that's something that really fascinates me.
0: Oh, that's, and that's some of the conversations we've had about about how we'll get these intelligent type, um, you know, spirit communications. And it's like, you know, just how intelligent are they? What is it that they can see and hear and speak and, 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 and in all of that? You take in each little component, whether it's visually or audibly, and work towards trying to get, and I call it the most scientific approach to this field. And, and it's constantly my head is off uh, how you stand by how you do your research and your investigations and that you're just adamant about the fact that what you do, in fact, collect is something that is very real and a possibility, then it's something you exist with. And if not, it, it just doesn't float and you stand by that. And, uh, that's one of the things that I'm so inspired and in, and in, in admire. And that's, that's Brandon Elvis. I mean, to a T. You know, I've been very lucky to
2: work with some brilliant, you know, doctors, you know, medical doctors, scientists, engineers, people that are from various technical industries that have really helped me remain grounded in scientific principle and logic, and that's really something that I've been you know, blessed with and something that really helped me push the field forward in my way, you know, in trying to do my part and trying to take us out of the shadow of the pseudoscience and really to be taken seriously by other industries, and that's something to me is very important. You know, I've worked with Dr. Harry Klor for many years. Over a decade, he's the only person in history to receive two PhDs simultaneously in, in any discipline And he received that in physics and chemistry from Purdue University. And that's someone that's been uh, a close colleague, one of my best friends, and someone that helps me remain grounded. And I want to do my part in trying to be taken seriously, not only to really look at the fact that we've explored the ocean. I mean, not to its extent. We've explored space, not to its extent. But I think that next final frontier you know, years from now will be uh, life after death and the the transference of energy and the possibility of us retaining consciousness. And again, that's something that I take very seriously, not only from my personal experience, from the loss of my brothers, uh, but also something that I think that we have to step out of that entertainment aspect, which we see so much now. We have to really step outside of that and look at what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to do? Are we trying to fulfill our own belief system? Are we trying to fulfill our own prophecy? Or are we trying to be taken seriously and find answers? And that's something that really drives me to this day.
0: Well, that's such a good point because, you know, when, when we stop and think of when the word even paranormal gets brought up, there, there, there certainly these days seems to be, um, a couple of different, you know, thoughts on that. Uh, there's in fact those who are very much by the accord. Of how they do their approach is, is by basis of more professional and scientific and very, very stringent type, you know, guidelines of how they do that. And then there almost seems to be another that, that knows that maybe very well be the case, but they have their own spin about how they want to do the paranormal. And do you think it's something, you know, that's a, a great point with that is that do you think it's something that you see, the paranormal in the future is—it's as, as something that we're going to have to come to, literally come in the room and sit down and say, "This—if we're going to be accepted by these other fields out there, the science, the medical—and be accepted, what is it that we're going to have to finally realize? Okay, this is the path we're going to have to take." What's your thoughts on that, Brent?
2: Well, we're going to, have to adapt uh, ethics standards and protocols and methodology into this field. Um We have to really not watch the TV shows that are out there, which are you know, fantastic for entertainment purposes. There's nothing wrong with watching the shows and being curious about that. But if we want to be taken seriously by these other technical industries, we really have to adapt ethics, standards, protocol, and methodology. We have to come to a consensus in some way, um, especially from the guidance of these other technical industries, that we have to do things in a rigorous manner. We have to do this in a very particular manner and if we don't come to that, um, we're just going to be chasing our own tail and we're going to be, you know, laughed at in a sense. And I hate to say that, but it's just the truth, because, I mean, you see so many of these shows that are out there, which are the same shows just dressed with different names. They're out there using this goofy garage tech that is built purely for false positives, built purely to fulfill their own belief system. But if we want to really collect data uh and empirical evidence, we really have to look at this from a point of view from other technical industries and really take their guidance and really take their um, thought process and really adapt that into our field and which we could do very easily. It's just a matter of swallowing our ego and our pride and really trying to step out of the shadows to the science.
0: Well, there's that whole thing. We bring up that word in pride and, and there tends to be those that defend it to the very end of, of the having their own thoughts. But you know, I, I did, I, I actually did put out a post recently that says that, to me, paranormal investigation is days and hours of minutes of pure boredom interrupted by seconds of pure adrenaline. And, you know, those moments are the ones we live for, that that very good Class A EVP, that that moment where yourself, you've been there and you were able to document an actual, you know, uh, apparition or something on camp right there. And to know, wow, that's something that's compelling, you know this is what we we do it for, but uh so you know, go ahead, Kelly.
1: I excuse me, I was going to ask Brandon too, do you think kind of bouncing back to your other point then um kind of about you know looking at all these shows and um you know the different types of things that are out there, but overall, you know some of them are as you said, just kind of re- people renamed and And uh, going about it that way. But do you think the abundance of different platforms now could be um, either advantageous, really, or disadvantageous when it comes to building that legitimate community? Like I was thinking, you know, people may, I've, I found anyway from different um, people and presences online and, and di- checking out different shows and, and different authors and whatnot, then I'm finding that there's more of a resurgence of people who really want to do this with some legitimacy and some, uh, sense of, of true passion. And I, so I see, you know, I see it like kind of that division going either way, you know, that entertainment sector or those who are using this as truly a, a, one of many platforms to kind of find other like minds who take it just as seriously do you see that as well
2: absolutely you know i, I do see that there are a lot of people out there that do have you know similar theories, similar uh research and methodology that can really help the field and i hope that those people come together like we were just talking about earlier you know in, in a consensus where we sit down at a round table or whatever it may be and really come to a conclusion as far as how we should conduct the research and again. I don't think that should be determined by us in the paranormal field. And again, I think there's a lot of people out there that have different belief systems wherever that may be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we do have to adapt this strict protocol and methodology that would be you know, very much guided by technical industries that are currently not involved in the paranormal community. And once we have that moment and we sit down and say, hey, look, we have a genuine curiosity. We want to find data and empirical evidence, pure truth, not going out there to be scared, not going out there to make a show. Uh really going out there and find proof, uh or, you know, what we believe to be proof that can be scrutinized. That's something we have to, you know, look at and something we have to try and, you know, you know, rally people around. And the moment we do that I think that we can be taken a lot more seriously. And hopefully that day's coming very soon. I, I sure hope.
1: I hope so as well. Is there is there a kind of a, a on a smaller scale, a pointer that you would advise to those with independent groups that would help work toward this goal? Is there something that you could, you know, uh, kind of depart upon them that they uh, would have as kind of a starting point in order to create these basics that you talked about?
2: Absolutely. You know, first and foremost, we have to start to look at the environmental conditions associated with places that we believe to be haunted or believe to have paranormal activity. Uh, we can't just go in there with a SLS camera, an obelisk, a spirit box, and have these random things happening that really don't add up to data or really add up to empirical evidence. We have to go out there and look at every natural aspect first and foremost. And see what is natural versus something we can explain first off. And, uh, unfortunately you don't see a lot of that. Uh, you see people going out there that are buying these devices that are made, uh, and sold for a lot of money because they've been on television and they're being used to create a 42 minute television show that will drive a narrative to make sure people tune in every week. But if we really want to, you know, get to the crux of the whole thing and really understand what's natural and what's something we can't explain, We have to look at every natural explanation first and foremost. And you don't see a lot of that these days. So I would say go out there, study the environmental conditions of a location, see what is something that could be naturally explained, say high EMF to natural infrasound that is messing with someone's temporal lobe activity that is making them feel like they're experiencing something they think is paranormal. But at the end of the day, it's actually something very uh, natural that is making us feel a certain way. Not only that, you think about the fact that if we are – say you're going through a stop sign. The way the human brain works is that we want to recognize patterns, and we fill in those blanks to ensure us that we're going to do something that is correct in our own process, our own thought process. So say you see a stop sign, and you have the S and the P at the end of the stop sign, right? The letters in the middle can be completely flipped or missing, but in your mind, you're going to fill in those blanks and you're going to make that automatic assumption to stop there because you are fulfilling, uh, and creating that, that gap that's left in that situation. I think a lot of times within the paranormal field, people fill in those blanks. Audio, audible and visual pareidolia is a huge thing. So we have to really look at our own thought process, our own mind. And really think, are we actually experiencing something that's paranormal or are we fulfilling
0: our own belief system? That is such a good point. And, and that a very does, good point. It, it, I mean, it's chilling because, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, blessed to have the opportunity to investigate with Brendan several times and, uh, just, just even on locations that he knows and knows the history. And, uh, and we've had some really cool evidence that we were able to get, but. Even with that, there's still something you try to do it in, in a way that you have the, the best experience. And I, I've even talked to Brandon when you go to places like that and you have those opportunities to investigate with people who have been doing it really for their, you know, their life is you, you get to learn their ways and then you take that away when we leave there and we potentially go have a residential case and we go back to just like Brandon saying the stop sign, you go back to. What you learn, it worked, it revealed you know that the the best evidence you know practice, and then you were able to say, "Wow, okay, this is what I got from that, and that's why it's these opportunities to do that, and someone like Brandon has been bringing that now for some time, and that's why you know with this opportunity going forth in the future i I tend to say, are we gonna is this something you think that we hopefully?" we look at being serious and we need to do, or is something we just keep going towards maybe the networks that's more entertainment because that's what gets the ratings. And you know, that happens so many times people see you in a shirt, something goes and they say, Oh wow. I saw that show the other night. It was amazing. I saw 45 minutes worth of stuff happening, but we know it's not the case. And you, you want to try to tell them that, but it's what they saw is what they believe. And and that's kind of sad because we, as these investigators and psychics and what we do, we know that's not the case. And I'm wondering what it's going to do to change that. That's kind of the thing. What, what are we going to have to do to do that? Or are we even willing to do that?
2: Right. No, that's a, it's a very good point. Very valid point. But again, you know, I, I think that things are changing, especially after 2020. You know, I, it's been such a transformative year. So much, so much has changed not only with, in our country, with worldwide. I mean, you think about people are awakening in a way that we haven't seen before, at least in the last hundred years, I believe. And we're starting to see this big transformation. And I think a lot of the shows that we see, which are mainly on travel channel that are now being moved to streaming services, where people are now starting to kind of walk away from that, uh, for whatever reason they have, um, be it, you know, cable bills and a uh, reason that they can't afford it and they don't want to, you know, conform to a streaming platform, whatever it may be. But I think that we have a very interesting opportunity right now within the community and within this genre where we can start to say, hey, look, everything that you've seen for the past 20 plus years has been the same thing over and over and over. It's time to look at this through a different lens. It's time to look at this from a fresh perspective. And let's all get together. Uh, let's look at this methodology from other technical industries and let's adapt that. Let's let's not look at it as a 42 minute television show. Let's look at this from a research standpoint, which people watch these shows not only to see the research, to see the new gadgets, to see what's being collected. But once you see that over and over again for 20 years, I think it's starting to get to a point where people want to see something fresh. They want to see something new. They want to see a new perspective. And I also think, you know, with the pandemic, you, you talk about all the scientific advancements, all the things that have changed around us. I think that the ideology and the concept of science is being more accepted to the general community than it ever has been. And I think that this is a very interesting time for the paranormal community and this type of research, because I think people are more open and accepting to change. And I think that's something that can really help us as a whole.
0: I've noticed that. And, and, you know, I'm fascinated by, you know, I'm an outdoorsman myself. But, uh, you know, Sasquatch is Bigfoot. I've noticed that that entire, you know, communications with that is starting to be so much more looked at as a real possibility. Right. And that's kind of been under the umbrella of the paranormal is Bigfoot and um potential portals and then coming slipping through in time and slipping out of our, our time and space. And. The scientific community is actually starting to go out and do real data and look at these these possibilities of these creatures or could be something from our past that we've often thought in folklore. But we're starting to say, well, there's too many people that are making qualified reports of these sightings for it not to be a possibility. And that's where I get totally so serious about guys. If that's being accepted and we can do that, why can't we look at the paranormal as something for it? It too can be accepted as, wow, this is, these are events, you know, millions of people saying, I heard, I saw, I felt. So if that's the case, you know, what is it we're going to have to do? And one of the things with that, that you did uh, several years ago, Brandon, is tell us a little bit about a certain camera that you were able to, uh, to bring into the paranormal and, and collect some amazing data.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I consulted all the different, you know, professionals from various technical industries that I've been very lucky enough to consult over the years. And I was doing ghost hunters and we were out in Fort Stanton. And some of the most credible eyewitnesses that we've ever dealt with. I mean, these are people that work for a state park system. They're regulated. They're drug tested. Uh, they're very much looked over from a professional standpoint. And uh obviously, eyewitness testimony can't be taken too seriously if we want to really collect empirical evidence and data, but these people were so convinced, they were so adamant about these experiences that they were having in this location that I went to these consultants and I said, hey, look, from a scientific perspective and from your countless years of working in the scientific community, if ghosts are manifesting or what we believe ghosts are manifesting, how would that happen? And the theory of photon events were thrown at me. And that's something that's been observed by NASA and observed, you know, through space exploration for many years, also in other avenues as well in the scientific community. So I was provided a camera called the EMCCD camera, which is an electron multiplying camera that is used mainly in the digital imaging scientific community to record single photon events. And what photon events are, are, these are light events that typically are not seen by the human eye. But not only do these light events take place, they carry electromagnetic radiation, EMF and frequencies. So I took this camera into the one of the first federal tuberculosis hospitals in the country. I placed it in the exact area where one of our credible eyewitnesses were seen this apparition, this figure. And uh, we collected something that is truly phenomenal uh not only from a paranormal standpoint but also from a standpoint of it being something that is all you know obviously a phenomena that takes place not only here on earth but also in space that can be documented and actually looked at and analyzed and we collected something that looks very humanoid very much in the same vein as what these eyewitnesses saw and I think we made a tremendous breakthrough, and I think those are the things that we need to do to move this field forward is to have this, you know, third-party scrutiny, opening ourselves up in that way and saying, hey, look, what is something that we can look at out of the paranormal lens, not these goofy gadgets that we use all the time to fulfill our own belief system, but what is something we can document that you can analyze yourself to say, hey, look, is this something natural or is this something that we can't explain?
0: That I, I I'm not sure Kelly if you uh, can recall that moment or happen to see that show but I will tell you I'm getting the hairs on my neck that moment was the I mean I'm such a geek uh, that was the moment that I truly believe that the, uh, the paranormal community stood still with that actual documentation it was like what. It, it, it just play us back a little bit, Brandon At the exact moment when that happened Because it's just It's the home run hitter you you got to take us back to that That was amazing, set the stage Absolutely,
2: so myself, Brian Murray And our cameraman, Kendall Kendall Welton whoever everyone knows Kendall? Beloved Kendall, amazing guy He's been on Ghost Hunters since the original yes. Amazing documentary, The House in Between The guy is phenomenal Not only yes. is he a phenomenal director of photography He's a phenomenal paranormal investigator in the sense that he is extremely logical, he will point things out that we didn't notice in the moment. And we're standing there, and we set up this camera. Um, I asked Brian to go down the hallway to grab uh, you know, a wheelchair as a trigger object. Let's throw that in the hallway just to see if something happens. And as Brian starts to walk down that hallway, right through the hospital doors, we see this huge, brilliant white light appear out of nowhere in the lobby of this hospital. And not only do you see this white light show up out of nowhere, you see what looks like a figure walk through that lobby. And once I brought that to Brian's attention, I'm like, Brian, get in here. Something just passed through the camera. Something amazing happens when Kendall and Brian walk out of the building to try and recreate that. We're so like, you know, maybe it's another, maybe it's another cameraman, maybe it's someone with a flashlight, maybe someone walked past that we didn't realize, which we're very much about cutting down on contamination. We know where each other are at all times. We have constant radio communication. We are very much about, you know, controlling the environment as much as possible. And once we realized that no one walked by and we could not recreate that same light, and figure that walked by in that time when I was in that hospital by myself, standing behind that camera, this unbelievable photon event, this light event, which typically these single photon events take place individually. They usually don't come together as one common image, which happens in this exact moment. So why, while Brian and Kendall are outside trying to recreate this, there is this figure that very much resembles a nurse a woman stepping out of the doorway looking down at me that's when the big breakthrough took place and what's so interesting about that is is i think that there was some and again i think this goes back into us filling in the blanks our own mind playing into something that we believe it should be but in my own opinion i think that whatever this was very much had a consciousness because it thought that everyone left the building as soon as it Kind of peeked
0: out of that doorway. It noticed yes. I was there, and it took off quickly. It, it, it did. It, it was a moment where people were like, "What? What? Play that. Play that back. I. What? And, it, it, and even I remember the moment when you were able to get Grant there, and then you and Brian and and Grant, you walk down there. You're like, "Okay, this is just a wall. Okay, it's a wall." And it was right about here and he tried to just go back and that was a head scratcher for Grant. He was like, okay. So he saw that. He was like, wow. And then you went back and tried to see where it happened. And it, and it just, it, it there was no way a person could have done that. Like it was right. You were right on top of it. And, right. uh, oh, I'm, I'm getting sure there.
2: Yeah. Not only that, I mean, you think about the fact that. When we actually got Brian in a position to actually peek out of the doorway, you can see the definition of Brian perfectly. You can see everything about him. You can see his sweatshirt. You can see the strings hanging off his sweatshirt. You can see his beanie. You can see all that. The image that we captured not only moved in a very unnatural way, but there was no definition to it. No definition at all, which makes no sense. And that was a moment that, not only for Grant, myself, and Brian, that was a what-the-hell moment, (laughs) Uh, But it's something that, you know, will stick with me to this day and something I continue to research. And work. actually, myself, Mustafa, Dr. Clore, and other people I work with closely, we're starting to call that the paranormal photon theory, where we're looking into the fact that are these photon events in some way, is it a natural phenomena that we don't, you know, we don't understand that we perceive to be ghosts? Or is it somehow a manifestation that, we don't understand that is unnatural or paranormal, if you will, that is somehow the mechanic behind manifestation.
1: And Brandon, have you used this camera or experienced anything like that since that event?
2: I use it constantly. I mean, obviously during the pandemic, I have not used it as much as I'd like to. Uh, sure. But yet to have a moment uh, of that capacity, yet to have a moment uh, with such a breakthrough, We did have two other instances with that camera, not only in Galena, Illinois, but we also had another moment in Haynes, Alaska, where we had different types of photon events taking place that didn't match up to what we collected in Fort Stanton. And that to me is very exciting because if we're we're seeing the same thing over and over again, it's most likely something we can repeat and we can explain. But the fact that we've had three moments with that device that we can't explain that have all Come across as different types of, you know, manifestations or different types of, um different types of uh, data collection. That's something that's very exciting to me, and I can't wait to get back out there here, hopefully soon, and really try and find some more data to support it.
0: You did have that that night where you had, I think, maybe one of the second times that you had used it, where I believe it was in the hotel or one of the other buildings, uh that you had these very tiny, little Wisp of these little lights that you were uh, documenting, and though that was interesting because it was it was like self illuminating by itself, and then you could see it with that camera just moving about, and yet there's nothing there. It's not a bug. It's not anything else, and it was so interesting because that that was the moment you're saying, "Wow, could this be? You know, the things that other people see, and now we're actually documenting with this camera."
2: Absolutely, and you know, thanks to Kendall again in that moment. Because we're standing here in this boarding house in Clifton, Arizona, where these hardened, badass miners stay all the time. These guys are working <laughs> in copper mines. I mean, you guys are, you guys are some badass dudes. You know what I mean? These guys are working in copper mines. They're staying at a place that's, you know, very affordable, a place that they can stay during their time working in these copper mines in Clifton, Arizona. And they're claiming to see this entity, this apparition, whatever you want to call it moving from room two to four and we set up this camera in that exact area and we start to see these amazing anomalies show up on the emccd camera on the photon camera and little did we not realize at the time i mean we're seeing this thing we're like what the hell is this we're kind of excited we're reacting to it (laughs) but at the same time we have an infrared camera and we have a uv camera pointed and well actually i'll take that back We had an infrared camera, a UV camera, standard light, and a thermal imaging camera pointed down that exact same hallway, the exact same angle, and nothing showed up on the other three cameras, only on the EMCCD camera. So if this was moisture, dust, bugs, or something else that could very easily be explained naturally, it did not show up on these other cameras in that spectrum. It only showed up on the EMCCD camera, and not only... I don't think it played as well as it really did in real life on the show because when we were seeing this happen in with our own eyes in real time on the EEMPCCD camera, we were actually hearing footsteps coming down that hallway. It was the wow. exact same eyewi'tness testimony that we heard over and over again. so that's the way to do it is to try and correlate between multiple devices at once right Not only were we watching this ENCCD camera, we had thermals we had infrared and we had a, a, you know, standard light camera UV that we did not see anything taking place on those other cameras. And that's a very special moment and something that we have to look
0: into further. <laughs> I remember there was, a, I remember there was a time also where I believe it was Daryl and Brian downstairs. I believe it was in, uh, Iowa or, uh, out very, very, very cold. And they were outside and there was this huge burst of this, you know, blue light that came out of the second floor. Daryl went in pursuit of it, went upstairs, looked, and there was nothing there. But if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think you guys, you did have a camera there at the time and reported something.
2: Absolutely. I was actually, uh, Daryl Mustafa, they were outside. I mean, All of season two of Ghost Hunters for us was in extremely cold conditions, which is, one, miserable, just as being a human being and being (laughs) on those conditions, which is not fun. Uh, But two, it's it's horrible for equipment. Your batteries drain, things malfunction, all kinds of different variables that take place in that situation. But they were by the fire trying to get warm, and they look up into the second floor window of the Galena Marine Hospital, and they see this blue luminescent light just illuminating the entire second floor. So they yes. run up and they go up there. And this was the moment when, you know, we had enough time with the EMCCD camera that I wanted to try and take it a step further and say, hey, is there any environmental changes associated with these photon events? So I took a data logger, the EDI+, and I put it in front of the of side of the camera. And when they see this blue light, not only do we collect that on the EMCCD camera, we had tr- huge Huge pressure changes at the exact same time taking place, so they're out there doing their thing. Brian and I are out in the woods doing a thermal sweep. We get a call saying that this crazy event's taking place uh in, out you know later they had Captain John they brought a you know a real life trigger object in, and this real life boat captain who works the rivers there for many years. um Once this happened, they were having motion detector movement, they were having all kinds of different devices going off. Brian and I actually point the thermal imaging camera up to that tower at the Galena Marine Hospital, and we see this figure standing right there looking out at us. So not only was that a moment where we correlated multiple devices, but I think that was a huge breakthrough with having this blue luminescent light radiate the entire second floor, but we had these crazy pressure changes. And that kind of goes into quantum physics and looking at space exploration. You talk about black holes. You have this amazing photon events and lack of photon events and pressure changes in space constantly. And that's something yes. we're looking at all the time. But we actually observe something very similar in a location that's reported to be haunted. So is it something naturally that we just don't know? Is it something that we have to look into further from a scientific point of view? Or is this you know, genuinely something we can't explain? That's what makes us all so exciting.
0: Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, that's, and that's
1: fascinating.
0: Wow. Oh, Kelly, it, to see that on that night and when that happened. And I even kind of questioned that. Could it be that these iconic, historically haunted locations that are kind of back and forth with activity one night and, and none the next, that could it be that they are home for a portal and that these spirits come and go through this portal in this building and if it's your, you know, luck of the, the drawing, you're there that night and they're there. Well, then you get, you know, you get this evidence. And that's why it just, it's with this continued, you know, type of these studies and research and the things that Brandon is doing. Uh, it's that just leads to the possibility e- even more. Well, speaking, speaking of that and some of the, those, some of the amazing things you've done, even in the past, um, I, I know that there is a book in the works. So. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, about, uh, where that is now, you know, moving forward with that and, and what, uh, where you see that here in the very near future.
2: You know, I can't say too much about it at the moment, unfortunately, right. but we have this book coming out. Myself and Mustafa Gadolari co-wrote this book. We actually started working on this on season one of Ghost Hunters. You know, it's something I've been working on since 2006. It's something I take very seriously. You know, again, I've been very lucky to work with these various, uh, professionals from technical industry. Who really helped me, you know, put together a methodology, uh, protocol, ethics and standards, all these different things that they use within their field on a daily basis. And I approached Mustafa, who is a very good friend of mine, as Keith knows. Keith knows that very well. Mustafa and I are very close. We're
0: yeah. best friends.
2: Yeah. And, uh, we have very, you know, we're very like-minded in a lot of ways, not only through pop culture, but through research as well. So him and I, I went to him. I said, Hey man, let's do a book. And he said, I'd love to. He's a writer, brilliant writer. This guy's been doing it for many years. Yep. And we approached the various publishers and we ended up signing a publishing deal with Llewellyn Worldwide, which is one of my favorite publishers, one of the oldest publishers oh, in the yes, United they're States.
1: Wonderful.
2: Yeah, they've been publishing since 1901. I mean, these, these guys are fantastic. I mean, almost every book I read when I was uh, uh, looking into paranormal research, actually before I set foot in the field, I would see that that crescent moon on the side of a book, I would instantly buy it because I knew it was going to be something that was going to be interesting and have great theories. And uh, so we have a book coming out. I can't say when. We do have a release date. We do have a title. I can't say quite yet. But I think that's going to be a breath of fresh air for the community. I think it's going to be something I I, I hope that people will take seriously and really dive into and look at it from a different lens, a different scope. But there was a someone we talked to not long ago that actually read Portions of the book, and he said, "This is going to be the Grey's Anatomy of the Paranormal." So you think about Grey's Anatomy, which was a book about the medical field that is still used widely to this day. It's almost the manual for the medical field. And uh, someone made that comparison. I was, uh, you know, very humbled and uh, very honored for someone to say that. And I can't wait for it to be released.
1: Well, many yeah. early congratulations. That's fantastic. <laughs> Way to go.
0: I am, I'm excited as well. And when you men- mentioned that with Grey's Anatomy, I've been, I've been in the medical field now. Oh God, 30 years. It's being a paramedic firefighter. That's some of my passion. And that, that is quite the humbling word. Um, I do know there's some things that Kelly has, uh, some questions for you, Brandon. And I think they're going to be some fun ones though. So let's, let's have some, let's have some pretty <laughs> fun. Let's have some fun questions because th- these are the things. Well, let's get to know Brandon.
1: Well, firstly, aside from your book, I did want to ask if there's currently equipment that you trust that's available, that's in- invented currently, that's affordable for teams who want to start collecting consistent comparable evidence? Is there a particular piece of equipment um, that you trust uh, as far as teams comparing their evidence from it?
2: I'd have to say the EDI Plus. Uh, it's an amazing device that's very affordable. Um, amazing okay. device out of Texas. You know, Keith Place. Yep. you know, Keith home state. Yep.
0: Central <laughs> yep. Every, Texas. Big, yeah.
2: Everything's big in Texas, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but this device is amazing because, I mean, it's. It's made for the paranormal community and made for paranormal research, but it is designed to record environmental conditions, which is so important to our research. Because not only is it going to give us an idea of what is natural versus something we can't explain, but this device is not only going to be the, what I refer to as the Swiss army knife of the paranormal community. You have temperature, pressure, humidity. Uh, vibration, EMF, all in one device that actually records to an SD card on a time code where you can go back and look through your entire investigation to see if there was a moment that correlated with other devices where you had an environmental change with, say, an EVP, electronic voice phenomena, or a shadow coming down a hallway, whatever it may be. That, to me, is a device that every paranormal investigator should have in their kit and something that should be used consistently
1: absolutely go teams yeah that's right that's right absolutely well i appreciate the information because keith is more of the tech side of the show i learned from brandon i
0: learned from brandon the
1: layman terms help me understand so that's great that's great um now i'm going to jump a little bit to you uh as an investigator and uh all the travel that you've done what's your one travel must have like if you're checking into a hotel What's something you've got to have there as a as a convenience or something that you just have to have? Toothpaste. <laughs> Toothpaste.
2: Oh, you got to always brush your teeth, you know. Hygiene, you know. You got to keep, got to make sure your breath's fresh because uh, you're going to be in some close quarters with other people at times, and make sure you uh, you're not smelling like onions or some weird food that they feed you at the craft services table.
1: That's right. That's right. Oh. And what's your, on the flip side of that, then, what's your uh, biggest pet peeve about all the travel that you do or the places you stay?
2: Oh, time away from family. It's tough. Oh, you sorry? know, it's just—it's so tough. You know, it's, you're out there doing a job. You're out there trying to hopefully do something for the greater good of the field or the greater good for, you know, your own personal journey. Uh, But it's so hard to be away from family like that. I mean, so much lack of sleep. So, such long hours, you're there for weeks at a time, sometimes it depends on the case um it could be tough you know away like from family, you know it's, you know it it can be very tough the hours are always different, you're in different time zones uh you're up long hours, so you get very minimal time to actually speak to your family. So That's always very rough,
1: sure, oh, I'm sure about that
0: so i I yeah, some of the other things Brandon um. And, and moving forward here in the future with some things and, and some possibility for some projects. Uh, if, if you had to give some advice for some folks that are to looking to, you know, actually give them more knowledge into the paranormal in some way that you, you look as credible, credible. Is there a particular book that you've read in, in your, in your time that is one that really stands out to you? As, as a basis, even before you wrote your book, because like you said, with that, that coming, that's very well going to be the one that no doubt is, you know, we're, you know, a go-to. But what was one that really stood out to you that was like, wow, it was very impactful. You got a lot of good information and, uh, it helped you with your career.
2: You know, I, I have to say, uh, a book titled Things That Go Bump in the Night, which is a very strange title, especially for the nature of the book, but it was a book written by Emily Peach. I think it was in the seventies. Uh, she was an amazing researcher. She went to so many different loca- locations throughout the, the UK and Europe, where not only did she lay out amazing case logs where you see detailed maps of eyewitness testimony, detailed maps of a location, but it really broke things broke things down in a way that really made it logical to me. So I think the book Things That Go Bump in the Night by Emily Peach was uh, a book that stuck with me to this day and something I actually will be referencing in my upcoming book as well because it was such amazing research. I think another one was a a book called True Haunting uh, by Hazel Denning. She's actually a Ph.D. She has a a doctorate. And uh, she's another one that really put out amazing case logs and talked about this different phenomena that we don't, you know, we don't really understand, but really broke it down on a human and emotional level. That's very interesting to me. So I'd have to say things that go bump in the M- bump of the night by uh, Emily Peach and also true hauntings by Hazel Denning, which is a fantastic book as well.
0: That's that's a good point. So, and that being said, so of all the type investigations that you, you've done and all the different the types of hauntings, what would you say is the one that is probably the most common that you get and, uh, and then tell us why?
2: Ooh, that's a tough question right there. Um, you know, I, I've investigated a lot of locations, well over 200, close to 300 now. And, uh, sheesh, it's, A lot of times people's minds run with themselves. There's uh, something I call thought form manifestation, which I mean, all of us talk about that in the field. Uh, but something I call a pseudo haunting. Where over the years, there's misinformation, uh, there's urban legend associated with the location, that people will go into these locations and believe it to such an extent that they start to almost manifest a phenomena in these locations
0: yeah. that
2: yeah. is what I call a pseudo-haunting, and something we actually talk about in the upcoming book a lot. Um, but I think that it goes back to the power of the mind. It goes back to us having this amazing energy within our own bodies, within our own minds, that we're projecting into these locations that somehow creates some phenomena. And I think that probably happens more time than not. That's, I'm so excited
1: to read your thoughts on that because I just got into that conversation, um, with some, some folks I know from a different, uh, podcast and, and it was very much along the same lines. So I'm very anxious to read what your thoughts are on that because, you know, we were talking about the legitimacy of that too and the frequency that that happens. So I think. I think that'll be a really great resource when it does come out, if it shares your thoughts on that.
2: Absolutely. We so, actually do a whole chapter on it. You know, we do a whole chapter, a very specific location that was actually featured on the first season of Ghost Hunters, which there was a lot of co- controversy surrounding that whole case and the aftermath of that case. But I, um, there's a lot of people out there that will buy locations that are, you know, reported to be haunted and they, they use it for their own gain, uh, be that popularity absolutely. or money. And, uh, they, they manifest their own belief system in that location. They make thousands of people believe the same thing. And that's a very dangerous thought process. It's a very dangerous situation in the field. And I think that, uh, you know, being that we went through a pandemic ourselves here with uh, COVID, I think that's a pandemic within the paranormal field and misinformation is a huge thing.
1: That's a good way to put that. <laughs> that certainly is a good way to put that.
0: I agree. Uh, th- and that being said, you know, and we go back in time, and you think these how manifestations of how that we could even project them. What's your thoughts on, uh, Brandon? Because it, it's been brought to me ab- ab- about myself is what's your thoughts on, uh, these children when they're little and the possibility that these supposed imaginary friends and them actually being paranormal type events. What's your thoughts?
2: It's a tough situation. You know, we have to, we have to be in that environment. We have to look into these situations and we'd have to, you know, try and collect empirical evidence and data associated with those things. But like we said multiple times in this show, the mind is a very powerful thing, especially a growing mind. So um, again, the, our own belief system, our own thought process, our mind fills in a lot of blanks that we don't understand. So, it could be a tough situation. So it depends. You know, it's a case to case basis. That's for sure. sure. Wow. That's um, interesting. Is there,
1: Brandon, is there a piece of equipment right now or a certain um I don't want to use the word method, uh a tentative method until we all read your book um, that you think could be dismissed from being as legitimate as some of the others?
2: Oh, many. I can I can go on for another hour if you guys want. <laughs> Start talking.
1: Okay, well, just give yeah. us your top two or three.
2: <laughs> of course, I will. You know, I'm, I get a lot of flack for this, and I'm not I'm not trying to you know dismiss or um, say these devices don't have some kind of results in some way. But you talk about the Spirit Box, the obelisk, the SLS camera. Those three devices in particular. Do not provide factual data or empirical evidence. If we were to take that information that we believe to be something paranormal, something we can't explain, and we take that to a third party from the technical industry, they would instantly throw that out because it's not, one, there's no data associated with these devices. So, for instance, the spirit box is all radio frequency. But we take that to an audio engineer and they break that down through spectrum analysis, it's going to be completely contaminated by radio frequency. So we cannot take that data credibly or that information credibly because it's purely contaminated. So I would say those three devices for sure um, are devices that are widely used in this community, widely used in the genre that do not provide any factual data.
1: Okay. That's a really good suggestion to all those listening with their own teams and just getting into investigating kind of some devices that, that you feel that there's a better substitute for, as you had mentioned. So I appreciate you listing that for sure. Um, with our last few minutes too, we wanted to know where people can find more out about you and watch for your book coming out um and, and your social media links and that sort of thing that you care to share.
2: You can find all of it at brandonjalvis.com as, everything that I'm doing currently, everything I've done in the past, as well as all my social media links. I've been taking a a nice social media detox here over the past
1: (laughs) week or two. Good for you. Uh,
2: To to get back to reality and uh, get back out of the negativity of the the paranormal community, the genre that we all love and the genre that we want to be part of. But uh, you can find it all at brandonjalvis.com.
1: And do you have any events coming up here post-COVID that you know of?
2: I do have an event with the Dark Zone coming up. It's going to be a live stream event for three days here at the end of March. Uh, we'll be doing in Hollywood at LAPD Precinct 11. Uh, myself, Susan Slaughter, and Kristen Lumen will be there, and we'll be looking into some of the uh, Hollywood history and the, some of the true crime aspects of that location. So I'll be doing that with the Dark Zone here at the end of the month.
1: Oh, that sounds fascinating. I'll have to tune in for that for sure. So, I have one final question, Keith, before you wrap up. This no, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. I have to know what Brandon's road trip investigation snack is. I have to know.
2: Oh, man. Uh, that changes by road trip, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs>
2: but I, I, I do love uh, the, the Ruffles jalapeno lime chips. Those are always, always fantastic. Always
0: fantastic.
1: That's why you need the toothpaste then, right?
0: So, absolutely. <laughs> that's a stocking stuffer for Brandon, folks. If you're looking to send a little love for Brandon, well, you you've got that. And and I will tell you. So, you know, Brandon, I, you know, me and Kelly has, have been looking forward to this show for some time. And, um, you know, I've told her many times she's heard of, uh, just what kind of person you are. I, I know she hasn't got to meet you yet, but that's that'll that'll change this summer. Um, and I wanted to just briefly, just the last question I would say is what do you think we as a paranormal community could do to make things a little better in, in the paranormal? What, What would you think wrapping up the show?
2: Well, get rid of the negativity. There's so much negativity in this field, man. I don't understand. You know, maybe it's the climate that we live in now, you know, with the pandemic and all the shows that we see, but there's just such a nasty attitude with people. And I just don't understand it. You know, that's a big reason why I'm taking the social media detox. I never in a million years or in my wildest dreams would have guessed that some of these television personalities would talk to their followers the way they do through social media. I'm shocked by it. I'm shocked. And, you know, I recently made a statement not long ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, about, you know, some particular people that just they speak so poorly to these people that are genuinely curious not only about their shows, but about what they do. But I think getting rid of the negativity, not only thinking, one, everything's a demon, everything's negative, everything's evil, but don't talk to people that way. We can all have a difference in opinion. We can be adults about the situation. We can all have our own belief system, our own, our own thought process, our own ideas without talking down to people. So I hope that, you know, whoever listens to this, and I hope some of the TV personalities that they listen to this, which I, I'm sure some will, uh, stop talking to people like that. It's, it's unnecessary. It's it's wrong. Just let's, let's all respect each other. And we can have different thoughts. We can have different ideas without being rude to each other.
0: And, and that's, that certainly
1: yeah. elevates the standard of all of this, Brandon. So mm-hmm. we are very, very grateful that you would spend some time with us this evening. Mm-hmm. And thankful to everyone who can tune in with us. And uh, thank you for coming on and, and spending the night with us.
2: Thanks guys. It's a pleasure. No, it's been great. I, Thank you guys.
0: I, I tell you, it, it has, Brandon. And, uh, the things coming up for you in the future and folks getting to, you know, to meet you there, it's going to be amazing. Folks, as we always say, me and, and Kelly, you know, love and light like just feels right. You know, be kind to a person today that they may need to be kind to you tomorrow. And, uh, we are all in this field to help people. And if we're not, then maybe we need to look inside ourselves and think why we ever got into this field. Because it truly is about pushing the field to help people gain that knowledge to better help them. And even in the future, mentor to other people who are coming into the field. Uh I would say with that being said, thank you, Brandon. Another uh, amazing show, Kelly. I'm so excited for the future brings. There are some amazing things happening with us as well. And Brandon, we will be seeing you out on the road very soon, my friend. I, and I'm looking forward to it, I will tell you. Again, thanks guys. It's a pleasure. Okay, guys. For myself and my host.
1: Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you in two weeks.